Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell Movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now, here are your co-hosts, Megan Rollins and Kevin Whitham. We want to welcome everybody once again to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. I'm Kevin Witham, and I am going solo today. Megan Rawlings couldn't be with us today or next week. She's got a big event uh, on both those podcasts that she needs to be at, so we'll look forward to having Megan back uh, in the following week. But I've got a terrific guest today um, who is going to be interesting from two perspectives and probably many more, I'll say. Uh, first, because of his academic work with one of the educational institutes in the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement, and then because of work that he does with uh, helping to shape elderships and bring health to elderships and our churches. Dr. James Estep is the Vice President of Academics at Central Christian College of the Bible in Moberly, Missouri. He's been in the ministry since 1985, teaching not only in colleges and seminaries, but in congregations around the country and internationally as well. Jim and his wife, uh, Dr. Karen Lynn uh, Estep, have been married for 31 years. They live in Macon, Missouri. They have three adult children, four grandchildren. Jim, in addition to his work at Central Christian College of the Bible, is also a co-founder of E2, Effective Elders. That's a ministry that was born back in 2008 during a coffee break while the three co-founders were teaching graduate students in Eastern Europe. Uh, So we'll talk more about that in our next podcast and have some good things for elders then. Um, But Jim, we're going to step right into this uh, with you today. I want to welcome you to Common Grounds Unity. Good to have you with us. Great being here. Jim, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your life, your spiritual journey, uh, how you came to faith, and some things about your ministry. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, I was not a churchgoer. My parents were not churchgoers. And uh, honestly, uh, we would occasionally go to church. Uh, You could call us CE Christians, uh, Christmas and Easter. (laughs) And uh, that was pretty much our church attendance, uh, usually with family and uh, not really engaged in uh, anything regarding a local congregation. And uh, my great spiritual motivation as a fifth grader was uh, there was a rerun on uh, Disney World. And uh, one of my classmates who lived down the street actually invited me to come to church, uh, to youth group. Uh, It was a new church plant meeting in the school we attended. And and so literally, I ended up going to the youth group, uh, just loved what I was hearing, loved the companionship, uh, the friendship that was there and asked my parents, can I start going to church on Sunday mornings? Um, They became a little concerned. They were afraid I was going to come home and want to go to the airport and get a tambourine and shave my head and raise money Um, (laughs) and uh, had no idea what what was going on. So they said, we're going to go to church with you. And then quite frankly, uh, I went forward to accept Christ. Uh, My father went forward to accept Christ. 
Uh, my, my mother had been baptized before, but she went forward to reaffirm her faith. And uh, we all became members of the Southern Acres Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, Wally Rindle was the minister there at the time. And uh, frankly, grew up in a wonderful congregation that was active and growing and uh, had a wonderful youth ministry and community impact. And uh, really, I was there until I went off to college at Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, really, I felt called to ministry very early. Uh, I remember writing a paper in, uh, I think it was my sixth grade uh, class at uh, Southern Elementary in Lexington, what do you want to do when you grow up? And it was, I wanted to be a minister. Mm. Uh, and so I, I went to, to uh, Cincinnati and um, stayed there for my undergraduate and then my master's work. And, and always had one, one feature, though. I, I didn't just want to go to school. I wanted to go to school and be in the church at the same time. So my freshman year, I picked up a preaching ministry at a very small church in Nicholasville, Kentucky, it had eight people in it. Uh, that's eight. That's not 800 or 80 or 18. And it had a two-seater outhouse. Uh, just to show you that we were very rural in Kentucky at that particular church. But I stayed there and preached. And then, uh, quite frankly, even when I graduated and went on for my master's work, was in a church uh, full-time. And as I continued on with my, uh, my education, uh, I continued serving in the local church uh, full-time all the way through, as well as teaching at uh, some of our Bible colleges. And so um, I've just been really shaped by my experiences at Southern Acres, uh, appreciating uh, the biblical preaching, the teaching ministry, the uh, fellowship the church brings, uh, strong emphasis on evangelism and disciple-making, uh, all those elements that I got from my home church just kind of transported themselves into me, into my DNA for doing ministry. Jim, I love that story. And boy, three things just jump out that, that I want to just comment on first. Boy, the, the power of an invitation. Uh, that yes. young man that invited you, look at the fruit that's come from that, a family brought to Christ and then fruitful ministry. So, I mean, that's a powerful story in and of itself and an encouragement to all of us to never... Uh, diminish the significance of an of a single invitation the other piece, by the way he is now an elder at a church in lexington oh love that story love that um well boy it, credit to him for sharing yes. his faith with you and uh, and second your view of the the local church and how vital the local church was here you are in the academic realm as well there's no substitute for the way the local church shapes us. And uh, I love Amen. it that you mentioned you as a student, you were out preaching as a student. I had a college professor when I was studying preaching say, nothing will teach you to preach like preaching. And I'd go out to those rural churches <laughs> like you did. So. Absolutely. And uh, you know, some of my fondest memories, even now, decades later, are back to that church and the experiences that, uh, that shaped me, uh, molded me. Uh, taught me about ministries more than the pulpit. It's about relationship, about the importance of presence in people's lives. And so, yeah, it's, it's an amazing, um, I really feel blessed that the Lord opened up the opportunities and the doors uh, for me to have those experiences and just uh, opportunity to blend my, my academic interest with my church interest so that I don't live in two worlds, 
but I've, I've tried to bridge the gap between them. Mm. Well, Jim, a part of our mission with Common Ground Unity is to introduce people in the larger church and across the streams of our movement, both to, to people and also to some of the academic institutions that serve uh, to help shape our young people. So you're with Central Christian College of the Bible, and that may be a new name to a lot of our listeners and a very familiar one with many others. Tell us a little bit about Central Christian College of the Bible, and then more specifically, your role there. I'd be glad to. Um, Central was founded in 1957. Uh, It is a, a Bible college. And when I say a Bible college, our primary focus is on ministry training with a heavy emphasis in the curriculum on Bible. Uh, For example, if you are going after one of our degrees that's a Bachelor of Art or Bachelor of Science degree in a ministry field, you're taking 51 hours of Bible. Mm. And if you're doing the Bachelor of Arts, in that 51 are 15 hours of language studies, Greek and Hebrew. Wow. And so we have a very strong focus on training for ministry, for mission. And and by the way, one misnomer is, well, then if I don't want to really go into professional ministry, I can't go to Central. No, we do have what we call our marketplace ministry degrees. And what that is, is we have collaborative relationships with other institutions that will let us use their majors, for example, Maybe somebody says, I want to do criminal justice or nursing or teacher ed, but they want to come to Central. They can finish their entire degree at Central, uh, and uh, they may have to to, uh, take classes another place online or commute for a semester locally. But the bottom line is they can complete a degree in a related field, but they still take like 30 hours of Bible when they do that. So once again, when we, we, we take seriously that preposition that we are Central Christian College of the Bible. Yes. Uh, and so really we're committed to equipping young people with a thorough Bible theological foundation and equipping them to serve in the local church or ministering in the world as a witness. And we have programs that are, of course, on campus in Moberly, Missouri. Uh, some people don't know where Moberly is. Very simple. If you were to look at a map of Missouri, we are pretty much right in the middle. If you see Columbia, where the University of Missouri is, we're 30 minutes north of Columbia. We also have an extension site in Florence, Kentucky. Uh, so we're there. We just opened it officially this week. Hmm. Our first students uh, took classes on the ground in Kentucky. We also have a full online presence where you can finish a bachelor's degree online with us. And so we're, we're really equipped to meet you wherever you are with the need you have for biblical theological education. And that's our commitment. Uh, I'm the vice president of academics, so it's my responsibility to uh, guide and direct faculty, uh, curriculum, academic policy, help students succeed, and we're set up to do that. Uh, so, so we are as comprehensive as we can be 
in the niche that we are trying to fulfill. And uh, we've had uh, wonderful success with a variety of people, such as uh, John Teal being one of our graduates. Yes, uh, John has spoken highly of, of Central Christian. And uh, once again, we the, the Kentucky campus is something new, and we're very happy to see it start, and we're uh, planning for its growth and its development. Uh, but one of the newest ventures that we really have done is a master's program. Tell and, us a little uh, bit about that. Sure, and because let me be very candid. Um, I've been in Christian higher ed for uh, three decades, and I've seen a lot of master's programs. And the one fault that I've always seen in many uh, theological education-based masters is they essentially said, leave your ministry to come study about ministry so you can learn more how to minister. And I always thought that is so odd to ask people to leave a ministry or uh, come over for uh, a length of time to learn what you should be doing in the church you're already in. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we tried to design a master's degree that was somewhat seamless between where you're doing ministry and what you're learning in the classroom. And to that end, we called in uh, Dr. Billy Strother, who is a, a longtime friend of mine. And uh, we, we worked on a degree called the Master of Arts in Ministry Leadership. And the MAML degree uh, is 36 hours, but the 36 hours are comprised of 12 hours of on-campus classes. So once a semester, you have to come to class for one week. That's all. One week either in Moberly or in Florence, Kentucky, either one. So one-third of the class is the 12 hours on-site. Come over here, be on campus. Another 12 hours is online, eight-week online courses. And we're borrowing those from a partner, Hope International University. Mm. And the third component is perhaps the most unique, and this is where Billy Strother lends himself to it. Uh, we don't want you to leave your church to study ministry, and we want to provide coaching, mentoring for you in your situation, in your church. So what we do is we assign a mentor after conversing with you, working it out to where maybe somebody you know or somebody we can introduce to you, and that mentor, that coach, talks with you, meets with you, says, what do you have to do in the next four months at church? And what you have to do at church becomes your homework. And they're going to look over it. They're going to give ideas. For example, we had one young man who was new to ministry. Uh, when I say new to ministry, he literally graduated and went straight into a preaching ministry. And his elders said, well, can we know about your next sermon series? And he, uh, he's in the MAML program, so he met with his coach and said, I can't wait. I'm going to put together a 21-week sermon series. Well, immediately he said, the coach said, wait a second, your first sermon series, maybe you shouldn't go so long. Maybe you should <laughs> pare this thing down a little bit. And so by doing that, it actually helped him you know, overcome a potential error, Absolutely. a potential trip up in his – yeah, exactly. And so it's, it's this very practical, relational – someone you can talk to about your ministry who's not in your church. And that coach doesn't grade you. 
that coach just literally advises you, consults with you. And upon completing all the homework that you explained you need to do anyway in your church, it's submitted to an on-campus grader uh, for a pass-fail. Hmm. So bottom line is it, it, it does not intrude into your ministry time because what ends up happening is uh, you take one one-week module, one eight-week online class, and basically one semester of coaching, and that gives you nine hours times four semesters is 36 hours, and you graduate. Well, well, that and, seems. I mean, how attractive it seems that would be to a church to encourage their minister to be involved in a program like that. You know, a lot of young guys get out into ministry, get into their first work, or they're in it not long, and they don't have somebody to come alongside and give them that kind of coaching and mentoring. Exactly. So what, what a practical side to that that I think would be attractive to churches encouraging their ministers to pursue higher education as well as a minister himself. Oh, I agree totally because, I mean, it's it, and actually the people we have teaching in the program are academically prepared practitioners. Mm-hmm. So these are people who have not, they haven't stepped out of ministry 10, 15, 20 years ago to teach. They're actively doing ministry and teaching at the same time. And so once again, you're getting fresh, up-to-date, relevant information uh, it, it's not going to be the kind of things where you've got to, uh, in one way, live in the academic world and then switch over to the practical, to the ministry world. This is a very hands-on, practical ministry degree. Uh, I taught a course, the first graduate course in the program, because uh, it's, it's fairly new. I taught a course on leading change, managing conflict. And uh, the great thing about the class was, People said, well, what kind of term paper did you have? Well, there was no term paper because term papers aren't practical. Mm-hmm. Instead, they had to explain there's a need in my church. I need to address this situation. And then we worked through the class. What was the best way to introduce the change that needed to take place? And so we make it as practical on the grounds, hands on as we possibly can. And that degree is available both in Moberly and at our extension site in Florence, Kentucky. But really, what the amazing thing is this, um, the tuition for the degree is a grand total of $10,000. Oh, my. Uh, That comes out to $275 a credit hour, which, by the way, is our tuition for the undergrad as well. Uh, Central is really committed to an affordable theological education. Too many ministers get into ministry uh, and they bring with them a load of debt from student loans. Mm-hmm. And then when they try to get their first ministry, maybe they're, 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 they have to start their family, maybe they're getting married, maybe they have children, and all of a sudden they cannot make ends meet and they feel compelled to find another job or a job to subsidize. And the next thing you know, they're out of the ministry. We wanted to guarantee that theological education was available at an affordable price. So undergrad tuition and graduate tuition are $275 a credit hour. Wow, Jim, everything you'd said about it up to this point made it attractive. I think that piece makes it even more attractive to some of our listeners who are thinking they want to get an education and pursue such for ministry or just to serve the church better. 
that's amazing. That that well, that is a very attractive piece with the cost of education today. Well, we've had we've had a wonderful response to it. Uh, in fact, our our initial class was larger than we expected, and the next semester we added even more than anticipated. And we have just that. We have people who are preachers. Uh, we've had a seventy year old missionary who's ready to transition. And never he's, too uh, late to go back. To my masters. Um, we have a, a person who's a deacon in the church who just said. I want to be a better leader. Uh, We have a person who's a surgeon who preaches on the weekend and literally says, when I give up my surgical practice, I want to do ministry full time. So I want training. So it's, it's, it's a very, very well received degree and it's had a broad base of interest and, and just appreciate all the students in the program that make it so very special. I I always like to help, people that are listening to this be clear on how to contact or get more information. Share with us the website address for Central Christian College of the Bible. Sure. It's very simple. It's cccb, that's Central Christian College of the Bible, cccb.edu. And that will get you to the main page and you can look at a tab that says academics. And there you can click on undergraduate, online, graduate, It'll take you to the necessary page. And on any of those pages, you can also click to apply. And when you click to apply, that's when you'll get contacted. So it's we'll a be very sure that procedure. We'll be sure that that website is uh, linked to the show notes on our uh, Excellent. podcast. So thanks for sharing that. Let's switch gears just a little bit. Sure. Um, you wrote an essay for Common Grounds Unity back in January, and I might just make a plug here on our website. A lot of excellent essays have been written, uh, and they're there for our listeners to read. Uh, different thoughts on unity, and yours is one of them, Jim. And y- you wrote uh, one that was titled, An Often Overlooked Principle for Unity. Um, one of the quotes I loved out of that was, Some say, of course, we want unity. We will unite with anyone as long as they agree with our statement of faith, all 38 items on it. I got a great chuckle out of that. Could you summarize a little bit some of your thoughts in this essay? Well, once again, I'm I'm a product of the Stone Campbell movement, of the Restoration movement, and I've greatly appreciated it. And uh, part of the, the dynamic of the Restoration movement is that we, we hold ourselves in the tension between biblical authority and the cry for unity. And um, there's a little tension there. But at the same time, I go, the, the overlooked principle was that of love. And what I was getting at was simply uh, anybody, any denomination out there would say, if you'll just sign on to our doctrinal statement, we'll be more than happy to fellowship with you. Uh, you know, if you'll just agree with everything we're saying, we'll be glad to unite with you. And if that's what we're saying as a as a movement, then we're offering the world nothing different than what anybody else would offer. I hate to say you could get the same deal anywhere, but you could get the same deal anywhere. We need to offer something different. And that overlooked principle uh, was when Jesus said, you know, The Pharisees will greet one another in the marketplace and overlook others. So they love greeting one another. Well, we love greeting people who we agree with, but what about the principle 
of greeting people who are not necessarily we're not exactly 100% on board with. And that love is something we need to, to capture and we need to apply. And by one of our credos, not a creed, we don't have a creed, but a credo was in essentials, unity, in opinion, freedom, but in all things, love. Because we want to have a fellowship of believers as the restoration movement that is a loving fellowship. And the simple fact is, I don't think that, um, you know, having, uh, having the, the principle of unity based on agreement is the way to go. Uh, everybody would offer that. If you agree with me, we'll get together. Yeah, and we, we seem to take that those essentials in essentials unity, and boy, we sure like to add to the essentials and put opinion into that category and, and lose the liberty that the second part of that credo gives us. Yes. Um, and then the last thing, like I said, the last phrase, we sometimes just completely forget whether we're in agreement or we're in disagreement in all things love. Yes. And, and that's the better way to go forward. Uh, I've had a, I've had a friend tell me it's like a, a sports analogy. Uh, I'll confess I'm a Cubs fan and uh, that, that just means I have a lot of faith <laughs> and I'm living in Missouri. So I've got a lot of, of Cardinal fans in my neighborhood. <laughs> and at the same time, I've got to give a shout out to Kansas city with the Royals. Yes. And I'm going, well, you know, I could sit there and say, I've got my favorite team, but I love the game. Yes. And even when I see another team do something stupendous, I want to stand up and applaud them. Yes. Because I love the game and see, the restoration movement's whole point was we're not going to apply a new label. We're going to love the game. Mm. Great and, analogy. And, 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 and I'm kind of going, that's where I'm coming from. Uh, I have a dear friend who said the biggest, and he came out of a don, denominational church. He left a denominational church to come into our movement because of the plea that we have. It attracted him. And he said the biggest threat to our movement is denominationalism. And I first thought he was talking about denominations. And he said, no, it's that we want to capitalize restoration movement and turn it into just another what? Denomination. Yeah. That acts like one, thinks like one. And all of a sudden we stop being a movement that really builds on biblical authority and a quest for unity in a matrix of love. And so I, I really just simply say that forgotten principle that would allow us to love the game and come together even with our differences because there are some things more important and there are some things just not worth fighting about. That's Let me the tell thing you. I would like for us to grasp. Oh, that's that's terrific. And boy, you bring a baseball analogy into it and you make it clear to me. You're, <laughs> you're, you're a long-suffering Cubs fan. I've been a Padre fan all my life. And, oh, my. Uh, 
So, you know, I, I identify with you. Now, we're having a great year this year, um, but you know, those years are rare. So, uh, and I still just have to have faith. So, <laughs> Well, you, you've had some good years. They're, they're like ours, few and far between. Um, but I would say this, too. You know, once again, when you start thinking along these lines, you begin to try to find reasons to unite instead of reasons to divide. Yes. You know, oftentimes we're so quick to find the differences between us that we stop identifying the common ground that we have. That's that's the focus of this ministry, common grounds, to Amen. help us all in all streams of the movement and for believers beyond this movement to, to discover what are the things we share in common. Let's start there. Um, why do you think there has been this proneness among us to gravitate to what we might call a more Puritan view, uh, a fellowship based on unanimous agreement on, you know, a long string of points. What are your observations on that and thoughts? Well, I think some of it, uh, without trying to, to introduce a history lesson, I promise I won't. We don't mind a history lesson. But, but you know, we, we really haven't, as a movement, studied our own heritage. I mean, the average person sitting in the pew may not fully understand the origins of our movement. And in not understanding that, we default to a generic non-denominationalism that says, well, this is what we believe, so this is what's biblical. Therefore, if you don't agree with it, you're not being biblical. End of story. Instead of saying, but we need to dialogue, we need to discuss, mm -hmm. we need to, and, and, and such. By the way, I'd also say this, prioritizing prioritizing. Um, when you don't sit down and have those dialogues and go, what's the most important thing here? What's the top five or six concerns we have? And are the things we're differentiating ourselves on way down on the line? They're, they may just not be that important. Certainly not more important than the deity of Christ. Uh, certainly not more important than the authority of scripture certainly not more important than the unity of the church. Okay, then we can have liberty in those areas. But once again, we're not having the dialogue and we're, and we're not really knowledgeable of our early history and where a lot of those credos arose from. Uh, I've often said we don't have creeds, but we do have these statements yes. like no book but the Bible, no creed but Christ. We don't understand the origin of those, and therefore they aren't as bright in shedding their light on our movement to give direction, uh, to give identity, and to let us be unique uh, among you know the churches in the United States and around the world. Yeah, many of those motifs that I heard growing up, several there that you just referenced— um, you know, call Bible things by Bible names, do Bible things in Bible ways. Sure. You know, there, there, there are a number of these that you don't hear referenced anymore, and there's great power in those statements. Absolutely. And especially when you go back and look at their origins and why those were so important in shaping us as a people. Well, my, you know, one, of my, one of my concerns, especially as somebody in Christian higher ed who's training ministers, is what I call bumper sticker theology. And, and here's the thing, 
credos are a little bit like those bumper stickers. Yes. But if you study the history, you understand what's being said and what the intent of the statement is. If all you do is start with the bumper sticker and no historical context, you make out of the bumper sticker what you want it to mean. Oh, yeah, great. And all of a sudden, it becomes the club. It becomes the weapon to divide. And used in a way just entirely different than, than what the originator or source intended. Correct. Absolutely. That's what I'm getting at is yeah. uh, used un, used in an unintended fashion. Absolutely. Jim, um, well, this has been a great discussion. The time has flown. Um, I want to close though with one last question for this podcast. Sure. So we're going to come back next week and, and talk together again. Here you've got a lifetime now in the Stone Campbell movement and in restoration movement churches. Um, as an observer who's deeply invested uh, and committed to, to this family, uh, how should we in this movement, how, how can we find a better way forward? What are some observations that we can kind of close with today? Well, there's a little bit of, of a way forward by looking in our rearview mirror and studying our history, uh, getting to know those credos and what they were intended to do. I, I would say another element is uh, we could use a fresh articulation of our plea. Uh, in, in some respects, the restoration plea worked. And, and I'm not being disingenuous. I'm saying it did work. Mm-hmm. For example, the denominational walls they used to separate us are not as high as they used to be. Uh, and I think in part because of the work of the restoration movement in calling people and, and groups back to uh, biblical Christianity, etc., and opening up these dialogues and discussions. And I think we just stopped having those discussions. But the third element I would say is, um, you know, we need to learn not to capitalize restoration movement and turn it into a denomination itself. Uh, And so I would say one thing we need to do is build on our history, rearticulate it in the present, and then cast a vision for the future of where our churches could go in terms of evangelism and disciple making. Because regardless of theology and Bible and all the things that make us the church, we have to do what the church was designed to do. Mm. Uh, I've been coaching a church in Missouri, and it was amazing because after several months of coaching and Bible study and and uh, leading the elder team in the congregation, they decided this. They said our mission is to glorify God by being or doing what God wants the church to do, which is make disciples, and by being what the church was meant to be, his people. Mm. If we'd all be about that mission. This becomes a a forward-facing vision for that congregation. Most congregations don't have that vision to take them into the future. Well, and if you have that vision for the local church, you don't have too much time to fuss about what the congregation down the street's doing. Right, or or what the color of the carpet in the the fellowship hall is going to be. Yes, well, Jim, listen. This has been a uh, an insightful, thoughtful uh, conversation. Um, I've been blessed to get to know you this way, 
and uh, I know our listeners have as well. Uh, let me just say once again at the end of this podcast, uh, Jim is with the Central Christian College of the Bible. Information about that school can be found uh, down in the show notes on our website near this podcast. Uh, Jim, there's another part to your ministry. I'm sure there are many more parts in, in addition to your work at Central Christian and uh, helping to shape people for, for ministry in that way academically. You also serve the church in uh, helping to bring health to elderships with a team of folks. So uh, you're going to be back with us next podcast. I want to say to our listeners, join with us again, and uh, and we're going to continue this conversation and go in a new direction. Jim, it's been a pleasure to be with you today. Glad hey, to have thanks, you with man. us. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, folks. Sit down for a cup of coffee with somebody across the street or down the road in another congregation and start having that kind of discussion and dialogue that Jim encouraged us to have. Find that common ground, and let's try to honor that plea of Jesus that will be won. We'll be back next week with another podcast once again with Jim Estep. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast with Megan and Kevin. Please check out commongroundunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources, and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.